You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. I feel like who Art Ed? Try to spice it. Who Art Ed? Mr. Wood, Art Ed, me. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're going to be looking at Picasso. Now, longtime listeners have no doubt noticed that I have somewhat conflicted feelings about Picasso. On the one hand, he produced a lot of interesting work that was influential on generations of artists. On the other hand, he seems to have been a really awful person. Still, the old saying goes that hurt people hurt people. So, to be fair, I want to look at the events that shaped the man. Even Picasso's birth has become the stuff of legend. Supposedly, when he was born, Pablo Picasso did not cry. He didn't move. The nurses believed that he was stillborn when his uncle, a doctor, went over and blew smoke in his face. Apparently, in 1881, that was a thing that a doctor would do, and it got the young Pablo to cry and to breathe. From there, Picasso went on to be, well, a child prodigy. His first word was supposedly peas, short for lapis, the Spanish word for pencil. Although, as a parent myself, I think if we're being honest, a child's first word is largely just what a parent chooses to believe it is. Young children babble and string together sounds that the doting parents long deprived of adult conversation begin to choose to believe are words because the parents spend so much time and energy on that toddler. It'd be nice to think that just once a kid paid attention to something at some point. Picasso's father was an artist as well. He began teaching Pablo when he was just seven, and a few years later, when Picasso was just 13 years old, he had surpassed his father, causing him to not only stop the lessons, he gave up painting. Now, looking at his first major work, First Communion, I can see where his skill would be intimidating. I mean, Picasso was just 15 years old at the time, when he completed this highly detailed masterpiece with a level of craftsmanship few artists of any age and training could attain. While he was exceptional at learning to paint and draw, though, Picasso was not great in other areas of his education. He said in school he would constantly get in trouble and be sent off to detention in a blank white-walled cell with a bench. While he says he was perfectly happy there because he could sit and draw, it's hard to imagine any child truly happy being thrown into solitary confinement. I can see why he was eager to get out of school. In his time as an artist, he moved through different phases. He abandoned the refined traditional painting style of the academy pretty much as soon as he had perfected it. As he sought to be more creative and expressive in his works, as a young adult, he went through his blue period— This period began after the tragic loss of a close friend. Picasso worked in a largely monochromatic blue palette to emphasize his sadness and lack of subtlety. This was early in his career, before Pablo became the legendary Picasso. He struggled emotionally and financially, and he put his struggles out on the canvas painting works like The Old Guitarist. When he got out of that depression, he shifted into his rose period, and there, 
He was using lots of pinks, hence the name the Rose Period, but also a frequent subject was Harlequins, circus performers. After that came the African-influenced period and his development of Cubism. All of this was in the very early 20th century. In the 1920s, he dabbled a bit with surrealism. I wouldn't say he was a core member of that group. He was more sort of on the periphery. But he always had an eye out for different styles and ideas to explore. There's that famous Picasso quote, good artists copy, great artists steal. Although that was likely stolen from T.S. Eliot. If you want to learn more about that, I'll link my episode, Pablo Picasso Art Thief, in the show notes. But all of this is to say... Picasso was no stranger to pain and tragedy in his life. He had also explored numerous ways of working in almost expressionistic, figurative work, abstractions with simplified shapes, mixed perspectives, and the psychological resonance of surrealism. All of these different elements and different approaches come together in Picasso's greatest masterpiece, Guernica. And to understand that little bit of historical context, there was a civil war in Spain from 1936 to 1939. While Picasso was living in Paris at that time, he was originally from Spain and he still felt strong ties to his homeland. When he read the news of the war and the bombings, he was horrified. On April 26, 1937, German warplanes bombed the little town of Guernica for about two hours. Hitler had decided to lend support to Franco and his nationalist army as a means of testing new weapons and tactics. The air assault was devastating. And this devastation is what Picasso sought to make visible to all. He had been commissioned by the Spanish Republican government, the other side of that conflict, to create a massive painting for the Paris exhibition held in the summer of 1937. In May of that year, just days after the Guernica bombing, he set to work on his painting. In the work, Picasso gives us a heart-wrenching piece as one of the strongest anti-war artworks I have ever seen. Rather than focus on the weapons of war, he shows us the effects. We see people and animals contorted in pain in a chaotic composition that may not look like the literal action of the bombing, but speaks to the truth of the experience. In this work, we see that people and animals, regardless of age, gender, even species, they're all traumatized in a way that words cannot express. But we know it as we see it. Picasso chose a monochromatic color scheme and matte finish to emphasize the starkness, and he painted it on a grand scale, over 11 feet tall, more than 25 feet wide. It is overwhelming. And I think that's the point. Now, if you want to learn a bit more about Picasso or Cubism, check the show notes for links to some other episodes you might find interesting. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.